Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. saying goes or the old song uh, neighbours everybody needs good neighbours and of course all laughing because you know that that's from uh, long running Australian soap neighbours which I think must still be on TV because people in England watch it I don't run into too many uh, self-confessed neighbours watchers these days Uh, but I can confess that once upon a time Uh, in a land far, far away. I used to watch Neighbours. And uh, let me tell you, it's it's kind of ironic when you think about the song because uh, on one level, the the interactions of the people of Ramsey Street are anything but really good good and neighbourly. I remember uh, when I was watching the show, um, uh, Carl was having an affair with Izzy, uh, who is like, I think she lived two doors down. Uh, and I remember some of the kids would be fighting about this and that, and then I remember this other guy who was uh, dating one sister, uh, and then kind of accidentally ended up having an affair with the other sister who was his next door neighbour, and I mean it was a horrible kind of messy affair which made for great television, uh, but terrible neighbourly behaviour. Of course there was also, you know, Harold and stuff like that that made everything nice and friendly and, uh, and, 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 and kind of respectable. But generally speaking, it's a show where we know everyone needs good neighbours, but in reality, so that we keep watching, it's full of drama and betrayal and backstabbing. Well, uh, in our reading today, Jesus calls us to good neighbourly relations, but in a way that is much more dramatic than even the uh, salacious affairs of Ramsey Street. He calls us to this radical love of neighbour, not just to be good neighbours, but to be radical in our love uh, of both good and bad neighbours, regardless of who they are. Jesus' call, we'll see, is for us to simply love those whom we can have an effect upon. So let's uh, dive in and have a look at this rather familiar and famous reading, the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, We see in verse 25, don't we, that this whole story that Jesus tells, that often we reflect upon the story and we fail to reflect upon the the context in which the story is delivered. And that's what I wanted us to do do today, is to to see that this is a story told to, to a man, an expert in the law, we read in verse 25, who has come to Jesus and he's asked this question, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a good question. Maybe it's a question that you've wondered from time to time. But of course, though it is a good question, and a question worthy of a good answer, it's a question not asked with the purest of motives. It doesn't say an expert in the law came to find out how he could be saved. It says... Uh, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. 
here's a guy who is an expert in the law, that is, he thinks he's pretty good and he's worked it all out and he knows how it is that one is saved. And I think what's going on here is this expert in the law uh, wants to test Jesus by seeing if Jesus gives the right answer to the question. He wants to know if Jesus thinks the boxes you've got to tick in order to guarantee your salvation are the same boxes he thinks you've got to tick as an expert in the law. And he wants to know whether Jesus is going to answer in the right and proper way. And of course, Jesus refuses to play that game. So in verse 26, Jesus simply answers the question with a question. Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And the man answers, well... Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus says, yes, that's right. That is what the law says. Do this and you will live. But of course, our friend, this uh, law expert, he's still not satisfied. He's still got these other motives going on. He doesn't just go, oh, okay, cool. We're, on the, we're already kind of on the same page. He now wants to be certain that he uh, is doing the right thing. He wants to justify himself. And so he asks Jesus, who is my neighbour? Verse 29. He keeps pushing. He wants to know that not only what you have to do, but how you have to do it is, is correct. He wants to be sure that Jesus and he are in agreement about what it means to love your neighbour. It's interesting that as we approach the story that Jesus tells to answer the question, who is my neighbour, the Good Samaritan, that it's done so uh, to a man who's seeking to uh, uh, feel good about himself and to feel like he can tick the saved box. To know that he's earned his inheritance, to be sure that God will give him what he promises. And that's understandable, isn't it? It's a good thing, if you can have it, to have some sort of assurance of eternal life. But Jesus' response actually somewhat undermines this man's assurance, doesn't it? Because in answer to the question, who is my neighbour... That is, who do I have to love? Jesus says, even the Samaritans. He tells this story of the Good Samaritan. I'm not going to go through it in detail because I'm, I'm sure that you know it well. But of course, the shocking and surprising thing is that this Jewish man is injured. Some Jewish people walk past him, some pretty high, highly regarded ones at that, a priest and a Levite. But the only person who helps is a Samaritan. And if we've been reading Luke's gospel up to this point, we, we, we've had some hints about how we think about Samaritans. Let me take you back to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. And I'll read that to you. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. 
When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then his disciples went to another village. So here we have uh, an interaction with a Samaritan town. They find out that Jesus is going to Jerusalem, the capital of of, uh, the Jewish people. And the Samaritan's like, nah, we're not helping you. And James and John are outraged. So they say, let's get God to rain fire down on these people. We dislike them that much. And if you were reading this gospel in the first century, I think as, 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 a, Jew, as a first century Jew, you'd be going, you'd sort of be cheering for, for James and John. Yeah, those, those dirty Samaritans, they deserve whatever comes to them. How typical that they wouldn't welcome Jesus. So when we get to our story that Jesus tells uh, some uh, in, the, in this next chapter, in chapter 10, uh, it's quite astounding, isn't it, that it's the Samaritan who becomes the good guy. We lose this. Uh, this story has so permeated our culture that uh, we now think of people who do nice things as good Samaritans. So we sort of go, of course, of course the Good Samaritan helps out. He's a Good Samaritan. But that's not how it would have sounded to the first uh, readers of this gospel. If you were, uh, I, I was thinking about what this would be like and I thought, you know, if you were reading this for the first time as, as a Jewish person, you'd get to Luke's gospel and you're sitting down for your morning cup of tea Uh, And you've just read chapter 9 and probably cheered on James and John for calling down fire from heaven on these Samaritans whom you despise. And then you get to this story and you think, what's this Samaritan going to do? Probably stick a knife in the guy. And he helps him. And I think this would be like like spitting tea out of your mouth kind of stuff. Like this this is that shocking. This is like, what? The Samaritan helped him? That's outrageous. That's crazy. It's, it's culturally shocking as these two people uh, uh, were, were diametrically opposed. They, they hated each other. It's hard to get our heads around how radical this story is. I was trying to think of what it might be like today and the best thing I could come up with, and it's probably not quite right, but the best thing I could come up with would be like uh, the story of uh, a right-wing Christian conservative helping a left-wing gay activist. Something like that. Two people who actually despise each other in, in the cultural milieu of the day. Uh, now here they are, seeing one in need and the other going to their aid. It's a shocking story. And so... We see some of the shock at the end of the story when Jesus finishes it and he says, So, hey, law expert, verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the law expert, have a look, verse 37, I think you you get a sense of the disdain uh, uh, here in the answer because he doesn't say, oh, the Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on him. He he can't even let the name Samaritan cross his lips. 
That's, the, the, I think, a, a good indication into the kind of disdain with which these two groups held one another. The one who had mercy on him. The law expert has asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? And Jesus has said something radical. See, the law expert has asked that question knowing that if, uh, if the fact is we need to love our neighbours in order to inherit eternal life, then, of course, God must be reasonable in thinking who it is we are called to love. There must be some sort of boundary to this call to love so that we can satisfy God's demands. Who is my neighbour, he asked Jesus, and Jesus flips that whole way of thinking upside down. He says, everyone is your neighbour. You are called to neighbourly love wherever you are needed to whomever needs you, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. Every single person is deserving of your neighbourly love. And because if you love God, you will love others, regardless of who they are, just as the Samaritan did. And so Jesus says, that's what it looks like. It's not bound. There's not people you have to love and people you can hate. Love of neighbour is love of man, the man next to you, the man you can impact. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And that's not as easy as it sounds, is it? It's costly. It's difficult. Sometimes it involves people we don't like. And I think if you think about your own life, uh, you'll know that it's actually hard to, 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 to show neighbourly love uh, even to people whom you actually do love and like. Like sometimes you can be selfish and not extend the grace you, you, you ought to to those nearest and dearest to you, let alone to someone who you're ambivalent towards or to, towards someone whom you despise. And so I think we see in this whole interaction with Jesus and in the story of the Good Samaritan a reordering of how it is that we are saved. A reminder of why it is we need God's grace. You see, this whole conversation begins with uh, this guy coming to Jesus and saying, what does the law say I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And the answer is something very difficult. If you want to earn your salvation, you need to love your neighbour like the Samaritan does in the Good Samaritan story. You need to love God and you need to love even your enemies. And of course, if doing that is how you inherit eternal life, then of course it begs the question, doesn't it? If you fail to love your neighbour, especially your nasty neighbour who keeps uh, taking you to court over your housing extensions or something like that. If you fail to love your neighbour, have you lost your salvation? Will you fail to inherit eternal life? 
And of course, this is where we need to understand what it is that's going on here, because here we have a man asking Jesus what the law says must be done in order to inherit eternal life. And we know that, of course, none of us can fulfil the law. Paul teaches us in Romans 3.20 that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We're meant to read the story of the Good Samaritan and go, wow, that is hard. That is impossible. I'm going to fail. I am sinful. I am far off the mark. And in realising that, we realise what a wonderful thing it is that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who came to fulfil the law so that we might inherit eternal life by being united with him through faith. And having received his grace, we might be empowered to live a loving life. One commentator says this as he reflects on this reading. Let me read it to you. Eternal life is something to be inherited and to receive an inheritance you have to be an heir and no amount of doing will make you into one. Keeping the law is a way of life, not a way to life. It is only when by God's grace we have, been, we have become the right sort of people, his people by the new birth, that we begin to do the right sort of things. The way of Jesus is one of devotion and dedication both in following him and in heralding him. But the way is not, on that account, a matter of assiduous religion or frenzied service, of busyness and incessant good works. It means not achievement but commitment, not activities but attitudes, not quantity but quality. The story of the Good Samaritan is not meant to be a way to life. It's meant to be a way of life. A way of living because you've received life. Because God's grace is the thing that is empowering you to love. See, when we understand that internal, eternal life is indeed an inheritance, a gift, and not a reward, and when we respond to God's gracious gift of eternal life by devoting ourselves to him, His life then begins to flow out of us. His love begins to flow out of us. When we love God because of what he's done for us, his love flows out of us onto others. In fact, throughout the New Testament, one's relationship to God is connected to one's response to others. When we love God, we love others because God loves us first. Places like John 15, verses 8 to 12 where Jesus talks about remaining in his love so that we can have joy and then we can love others. Or Colossians, where Paul writes that their faith and love spring from their hope stored up in heaven. Or 1 John, where John says, since God loved us, verse, chapter 4, verse 11, we also ought to love one another. God's love flowing out to love of others. God loves us 
So we love him and we love others. We need God's help to go and do likewise. But as we think about that, it's worth reflecting and pondering, isn't it, upon who is our neighbour? Jesus has radically redefined that as anyone whom we can have an impact upon. But as I reflect on uh, neighbourly love in 2019, I think I see a potential danger for us. It'd be interesting to hear what you think about this. But as we live in a world which is increasingly global in scale and outlook, of course that means we have an obligation to our our global neighbours in a way that we never have before because we never would have had the capacity to even think about how we might affect others. However, I think that there is a danger in being too global in our outlook, in our world that is so uh, easy to access anyone, anywhere, that we actually fail to love our neighbours locally because we're too concerned to be doing that on some sort of global and impersonal level. That is, you can have real impacts on those people whom you really interact with in day-to-day life. I sometimes worry that maybe loving our neighbour has become primarily about hashtags and Facebook photo frames. And instead of costly, neighbourly action. Certainly in the mind of Jesus, it was, it was local love. And that, that, that's because he's a man of the first century. I'm not saying global action is not important. But I am saying I think we need to work hard to make sure we don't let that become a cheap replacement for the hard work of loving the people we actually have to rub shoulders with. Those people we see on a daily basis at work who are so annoying and frustrating and generally hard to be around, who we're hoping get promoted or demoted so we just can stop seeing them. That's where we're called to neighbourly love. The people who live across the fence, the people we walk past in the street, the people we interact with in the cafe and the supermarkets, these are our neighbours whom we can demonstrate love to. Who is your neighbour? Who are those people? How can you love them? Kind words. Prayer. Of course, the best thing, sharing the gospel. And we do this because of God's great love for us overflowing from our hearts. So let's ask God to continue to fill our hearts with love for him in response to his love for us and ask that his love might continue to pour out of our lives into the lives of our neighbours, those whom God has placed before us. Hey there. 
Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au Or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless you.